First Timothy chapter 6 is where our scripture reading will be coming from. And so if you would turn your attention there, if you do not own a Bible, uh, we encourage you as a gift from Mission Church to you that you can take that black Bible uh, from us and give that to uh, you. Here's what the Bible tells us in chapter 6 of First Timothy. Um, it says this beginning in verse 3 through verse 10. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived in the mind and deprived, depraved in the mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth and the reality of your word. We are thankful for um, the cross and for the erection, Lord, that we owe everything to. Lord, we pray for our gathering today. Lord, we pray that you would work in the hearts and the lives of every person who has gathered here, God. We pray for the, the gathering after this with Forest Park, Lord, that you would be over Pastor Franklin as he preaches the gospel to his people. And Lord Jesus, we just ask that you be glorified, that you be magnified, that everything that takes place inside of here, Lord, that it would be God-honoring, or that you would save the lost, heal the sick, illuminate this text. May we not be blind anymore. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You can be seated. You know, as a pastor, I've been told many intimate details of people's lives. I've sat across the table from countless numbers of people like a priest in a confessional, both listening to people share with me great detail stories of how their sinful nature had led them to do wretched things to themselves and to others. I've been told things that have made me squirm. I've become sickened. I've become nervous. I've been filled with anxiety and fear and overwhelmed with grief and sorrow. I know some of the most intimate details of people's lives, including the intimate details of their bedroom, but I have no idea about their bank accounts. Isn't it interesting that that's the kind of culture that we live in? That topics that can be freely shared. But once you start diving into the idea of money, then that is an unmentionable. That is something that you and I do not talk about. We do not share. We're even encouraged not to tell other people about those things. And yet at the heart of it and the root of it is a very serious spiritual issue. 
Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24, says these words. May you be reminded of them this morning. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and, and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. Your eyes are, if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Then he continues in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and, in, and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's interesting to me that in the midst of talking about the dangers of storing up treasures on earth. That means gathering possessions. It means greed, materialism, consumerism. In the midst of the dangers of, of Jesus talking to us about storing up treasures on earth, that Jesus began to speak about our eyes. Well, why does he do this? Well, brothers and sisters, I'm convinced this morning, like the, the movie from the, what, early, late 90s, early 2000s, like Morpheus speaking to, to Neo in the Matrix. I believe that false teaching has created a sin-generated dream world built to suppress the truth of the gospel and the reality of consumerism, greed, and materialism, even in those who claim to be Christians. Yet Jesus says in that very passage, following up the idea of blindness... That you cannot serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. Or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot love or serve both God and money. Do you hear that this morning, church? You cannot do it. You cannot serve both God and money. Why did Jesus... Speak about money more than he ever spoke about health, more than he ever spoke about heaven. Why in the 39 parables, 11 of them are talking about money? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he speak so much into this? And I, I believe that he did this because he knew that every one of our hearts has a master. And, and out of the idols our wretched hearts produce, the love of money has become the, one of the deepestly rooted sins in our lives and is one of the most difficult sins to put to death. See, many of us will often roll our eyes in disgust over uh, drug addiction or alcohol abuse or, or, or pornography and, and prostitution. Man, we'll, we'll get disgusted. We'll hear these things and we're absolutely disgusted at those sorts of things and yet are sitting there blind to our own greediness. I think it was David Platt I heard say one time, he was like, it's like when you're driving down the road and you know that other cars are around you, but you have something called a blind spot. Brothers and sisters of Mission Church, friends, 
I don't have to be convinced that you and I struggle with this sin. Because I've been to your homes. And you've been to mine. And it is serious. And I already feel the perpetual eye roll from you. That you believe that I am not talking to you. And I am. Because Jesus is. His word is. And it's extremely serious. The Bible tells us here in 1 Timothy, again, we're going to talk more about false teaching. Uh, We have been, we'll continue as we go into 2 Timothy as well. But Paul, at the conclusion of 1 Timothy in chapter 6, he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and and the teaching that accounts with godliness, he is puffed up in conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. And a constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And so the, the principal teaching that is so um, uh, you know, apparent in our now modern culture is also an issue that was taking place during biblical times. And that's that men, teachers, were, were stepping up claiming to have a version of Christianity that led to the prospering of those hearers. And yet the scripture is telling us that that is Wrong. They saw the gospel, the prosperity gospel, as a means of gain. And yet, you and I, many of us who have awakened to the realization that many of the people on TV and sold in Christian bookstores and all of the like, even popping up on our Facebook feeds, that, that many of them are, are, are supporters and they are propagating a counterfeit gospel. We disagree with them philosophically, and yet practically, we have succumbed to it. We have succumbed to it. See, the love of money is is rooted in the heart of discontentment. The love of money is, is rooted in the heart of discontentment. If we keep reading here where it says, but godliness With contentment is great gain. See how that is in direct opposition of what the false teachers were promoting. The scripture, no, God himself, Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit inspiring the writers of the scripture tells us, but but godliness with contentment is great gain for we, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and we have clothing and that idea of clothing there in the original language includes this covering so it can include you know, shelter. Um, with these we will be content. The love of money. Money itself is not evil. It is the love of money. And the love of money is, again, rooted in a heart that is full of discontentment. Money has laid hold. The love of money has laid hold, brothers and sisters, of our affections. It has left us enslaved to and yet blind to thinking that any of us are falling into this sin. The love of money is a respectable sin in our society. Very few people experience real brokenness over their sin. Again, out of all of the years of now pastoring, I don't know that I can remember really any deep conversations with another person who comes into the office and is 
just ridden with guilt of their use of money. Why? Because we both support it in each other. It's the sin that we all accept. See, we, we have a false sense of security in our money. Financial freedom is what we seek instead of freedom in Christ. And you say things, but, but Pastor Eric, I want to travel. I want to see the world. I want to eat good food. I want to I have this. I want to I be my own boss. Look at all the, the freedom. We call this financial freedom. Look at all the freedom I can get. But man, I've, I've watched another, enough commercials before YouTube videos to realize all I got to do is do one, two, three, and I can be sitting in the mountains and be sitting on my Dodge Viper and all these sorts of things, or have enough friends and family member who I try to keep at an arm's length who have this secret way of making money, and if only I would do it, I could experience freedom. And yet Christ is not found in that freedom. He is not found there. Many of us have more faith in our finances than we have in God. Many of us have more security in our savings account than we do our Savior. It's interesting that in that passage that I I, I quoted here from Matthew, if you look at Luke's version of it, he continues on in the story. And listen to what he says in Luke chapter 16. He says, the Pharisees, so they just heard Jesus talking about this being treasures on earth, where your heart is, your treasure is also, you can't serve God and money, all these sorts of things. And Luke tells us that the Pharisees responded because they're the ones he is preaching to. And it says this, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things And they ridiculed him. Surely not us. This is not us. I mean, if we worship God, he's he's going to take care of us. But no, they they ridiculed him as, as maybe you're doing me right now. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And yet, with even in the church, we are all jockeying for position, comparing ourselves and our financial worth with what other people have. You've been made less than because of your shoes. Less than because you ain't got a well on your shirt. This idea of of perpetuating this is only magnified at the realization of what we've created on social media, where you can literally take a picture of your taco and let everybody know about it. You buy a new vehicle. You buy a new home. You have these extravagant trips. Is there anything wrong with having a home? No. No. Anything wrong having clothes? No, thank you for wearing them. But when you're trying to create and promote a lifestyle to generate either popularity or business or any of those things, I want you to know that is an abomination before God. And yet it's where so many of us live. So many of us. The love of money is fundamentally not an overspending problem. It's a contentment problem. 
Discontentment is the soil with which the love of money grows. Great book, Redeeming Money, by Paul David Tripp. We are discontent with where we live. I don't like it here. We're discontent with the the car that we drive. The spouse that we have. The way our kids, when we compare them to the way that other kids are, we're, we're discontent in that. We're discontent with our house. We're discontent with our clothes. We're discontent with the amount of vacations or where we have gotten to go. And we, we're simply just living in this kind of oozing of discontentment. I don't know about you guys. If you're a parent here, maybe you can connect with this. One of the most frustrating things for me as a parent is a lack of gratitude from my kids. It's a lack of gratitude. It's being unappreciative of what they've been given. It actually drives me insane. I don't know, dads, moms, have you ever thought there about a kid who's complaining about something? You've taken them out to eat, you've, you've bought them something, and they're just scoured face complaining about it. And all you can think about is how many hours you had to work in order to produce whatever it was. It drives me crazy. Yet this week I was reminded how often I must look to God. How must I look to him? The second thing that love of money does is that it leads to destruction. We see this in verses 9 through 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires and plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money leads to destruction. We fall, the scripture tells us, into a snare. That's a a trap. If you've never been outside, um, there's traps. You hunt animals, you set up traps, animals get caught, you take their fur, you sell it, you make money. It's a pyramid scheme, all right? And so in that, we see this snare. It's our pursuit of wealth. And the Bible says that, that we are trapped like, like a person in a pit that's water is just gushing in and it's covered, all the sides are, are covered with mud and you're slipping and falling, you're you are trapped, you are in this snare. Your, your heart is what is in the claws, trapped into that snare, waiting for he who will come to steal, kill, and destroy to gather his bounty. And your heart is it. Your heart is the ear. It tells us that it plunges people into ruin and destruction. Materialism is so serious, brothers and sisters, it is damning. Think of the rich young ruler who would not give up these things in order to follow after Jesus. We are left, the Bible tells us, like the false teachers who are craving controversy, this passage tells us that that we are, that For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. That we crave it. Like a shark who can smell blood in the water for miles away, so are many of us over a sign that says sail. 
We are always looking for the next deal. The next sale. eBay, Amazon, other online shopping has only aided in feeding our brokenness. See, the only difference between you and I and the hoarders is our hoard is organized. It's organized. Brothers and sisters, our love of money, if we do not tell our money where to go, our money will tell us where to go. And you know where it tells us to go 100% of the time? To hell. That's how serious this is, and yet how it is often skipped over within the church. We're trying to constantly being bombarded by ads, trying to sell us some sort of false identity that can only be found in the person and work of Jesus. The love of money is a gateway sin, is it not? It leads to to lying, it leads to stealing, it leads to cheating, it it leads to murder, it leads to envy, it leads to pride, it leads to jealousy. Even the sex trafficking organizations throughout the globe and prostitution and stripping and all these sorts of things, they're masked as being a, a, a sexual immoral situation, but it is really the love of money that is driving that industry. And it is serious. We are constantly craving something God has not given us yet. Instead of having a life of gratitude for what we have, we are constantly comparing our possessions with those who have more. I want you to think back to the garden. In the garden, listen to what God says. You can have 99% of everything you see. You can have 99% of everything you see, an untainted garden. You can have anything that you want, but you can't have this 1%. And yet, what does our, our first parents do? They, they trade in the 99% of all that God had given them because they wanted the 1%, only to realize that the 1% wasn't worth the exchange. And it led to their, what? Destruction. It led to their demise. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 23 through 25, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty with a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Then who can be saved? That's how radical Jesus' understanding and the seriousness of this is. It is difficult. Only with great difficulty can a rich person enter the kingdom of God. And yet, as we sit here in America, none of us think that that passage is talking about you and I because compared to the next person next to us, we're not rich. Brothers and sisters, did you know that if you make something like over $24,000 a year, that you are in the 1% richest people on the planet. There's around 7 billions of us. I think 1% is like, what, 70 million? You math folks, you can email Justin later and tell him I messed up. 
but I think it's 70 million is 1%. And guess who is a part of that 1%? You and I. You and I are in the same category as Bill Gates. And yet, what do we find ourselves doing? Complaining. Living in discontentment. Listen to these woes. Luke chapter 6. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. James chapter 5, verse 1 through 35. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you. And you will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. See, brothers and sisters, we often fall into the trap of wanting to possess things instead of wanting to possess God. Many of us are longing for heaven and, and God is, a, is a, a supplement. It is a side piece. We really want to see long lost loved ones and walks on streets of gold. And yet, yet the Bible tells us that godliness with contentment, that is what is great gain. We get God. We get God. Brothers and sisters, as the scripture tells us, what if it profits a man if he gains the whole world and let, yet loses his soul? There are some beautiful places on the planet. Even though they are tainted by sin, they are awe-inspiring. They are breathtaking. And yet all of them will be eclipsed by the glory of God. They will, they will seem like a, a, a pile of elephant dung compared to being and seeing the physical presence of God, it will erase. You'll be like, oh, man, why would I ever want to spend more time there? Yet many of us are fighting to go instead of resting where God has us. The reality is we should be living off the minimal while giving the maximum. We don't need more stuff. We need more Jesus. The reason that we are filling our homes and our closets and attics and storage units with stuff is because our hearts are not filled with Jesus. We'll often sing a song talking about over and over how Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. And yet none of our spending habits reveal such a truth. Later on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, he picks this back up. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as, good, as a good foundation for the future. So that they may have hold or take hold of that which is truly life. 
See, brothers and sisters, when we are, are filled up with Christ, when we have come to the realization of who Jesus is and what Jesus is and how Jesus is God and what He has for us, then all the things of this world go strangely dim. See, the thing is, is that as Americans, as the wealthy, as the rich, that, that God, in some cases, you know what he's going to do? That he is, is for some of us, he, he is going to make you, even within the, 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 old, the culture of American Christianity, that he's going to make some of our brothers and sisters really wealthy. But he's not making you more wealthy so you can live like the wealthy. He's making you more wealthy so you can give more of it away. How many times have, maybe this hasn't happened to you, but I know Laura and I in some desperate times have re received unmarked um, envelopes that have helped us greatly to buy things like groceries. We've received special gifts like that. You know what our first thought is? All the things that we can buy with this. You know what often doesn't come to our minds? We've been given this gift, now let's pay it forward. See, isn't it much easier for us to buy a $20 shirt that we don't need than to give $20 to somebody who is in need? And which comes first? Which is the forethought? And which is the afterthought? This is the seriousness of it. That even if God has blessed you within, uh, again, I believe that every one of us in this room are rich. But even in, in, in wealth, there are, are markers of higher wealth. And if God is, has given you even more wealth, then your responsibility is to steward that even more, to give more of it away. Because the reality is, is that you realize you don't need all of this. I've only in 41 years of life heard one person say, Lord Jesus, don't make me rich. Don't make me rich. You know how we, I know that we've bought into this lie? Because you were told for years and years and years, if you go to college, you can get a good grade, and get a good diploma, and you can make money. And that is a lie. And I know that because like my family, many of you are paying out exorbitant amounts of, of student loan debt because you believe the lie of materialism. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So how do we gospel our greed? How do we gospel our greed? Number one, honest evaluation. Honest evaluation. I'm convinced through Scripture that one, if not the greatest measure of Christian maturity, faithfulness, and possibly salvation is found in how you and I spend our money. I've come across very few people who will honestly evaluate their love of money and even more who after admitting it uh, is a problem are willing to do by grace and through grace, the hard things to make war against that sin. Let me ask you a few questions. Don't answer right now. Honest evaluation. How much debt do you have? 
And if you believe in something called good debt, then you have just proven that this sermon is true. What's in your closet? I heard of a famous singer the other day that literally has a warehouse because she has 10,000 pairs of shoes. You live paycheck to paycheck. Do you give generously, sacrificially, and joyfully? Are you investing in the mission or are you investing in your current pleasures and future retirement? See, many of us are farting so hard for a good life that we're neglecting a godly one. Prayers sound more like shopping lists than pleading for the lost. Jesus says that we will know them by their fruit. And if all we had to go on was our uh, checkbook balance, our bank statement, what would our stewardship reveal about us? Let's say the only way to tell a believer from a non-believer was based on our spending and giving habits. Would you be able to tell a difference? a lost person and yourself. First thing that we have to do in order to gospel gospel our greed is to have an honest evaluation. You may do, and here, listen to me, here's what you and I do. Like the rich young ruler, I do all of these things awesome. So I'm just going to count on grace for this one. And yet God turns that economy on its head. He said, yep, you were pretty good on all those things. But you've got to give up this one. The second thing, confession. After you've had honest evaluation, then you confess. You confess it. You confess it to Jesus, and you confess it to a believer who will help you. Confess it to Jesus, and you confess it to a believer who will help you. The third thing that you and I should do is that we need to biblically and practically educate ourselves. As a parent of middle schoolers fixing to go into high school, it's, it's you know, they teach a lot of great things in schools. But if we're not teaching our kids, if it's not being taught, which it should be taught at home anyway, how to educate our kids on the usage of money and biblical spending habits and what that looks like. And so for many of us, we are the perpetual domino that continues to be knocked down because we are uneducated, both biblically and practically, on how to steward our money, which is ultimately God's. We have to educate ourselves. We've got to stop blaming our parents for it got to begin to be an adult, put away childish things, and begin to learn how to take care of these things. Quickly, up here, I have a $100 bill. It's not real. Nor is it to size. In this dollar bill, I've marked it out by by 10 little sections because um, 10s are easier to deal with out of a $100 bill. Educate. you got to educate yourself. Within the church, those who claim to be Christians 
Um, guess how many give? Any takers? Let's take it even a step further. Many, most Christians do not give. And those who do give, we talk all this stuff about the 10%, but do you know how much they give? Those who do give, give about 2%. And they live off all of this. I would continue this morning that a more biblical example of that is that a Christian, we should be living more like this, that we're sacrificially giving away way more than 10%, even if you marked it up to 20%, which is what the Jews were paying for in the Old Testament, was anywhere between 20 to 30% they were giving to the temple, to the priest, all of those sorts of things. To make this mission go forward, they were giving that much. And yet under grace, those who do give are only giving 10 2%. So that leaves all of this, right? That leaves eight, right? Eight to play with. Then what we should be doing is, is taking another 20% and you put that away. So now we're down 40%. So the, the Lord in wisdom put this away. That's wise, all right? Give generously, sacrificially, that is biblical. And then God says, and I'm going to leave you with one, two, three, four, five, sixty percent of it for you to invest in and use in order to take care. My provision for you is this. And yet, even if we do give the two percent, or even we get ten percent, even if you give twenty percent, that does still not doesn't give us permission to take this sixty percent and use it on whatever it means necessary. Are we honoring God with even this? Are we even living anywhere close to this? Educate, first biblically, and then practically. And if you need help with that, I am more than welcome to help you. To have an honest, non-judgmental conversation and help you, pastor you. Our pastors will help pastor you, and we will help get you some professional help. It can change. I know it can. I know it can. Number four, we repent and begin stewarding our money. We begin to hate things like debt. We begin, again, to give generously. We begin to give sacrificially. I know in our sin we're already sitting here going, but if I give any money, that's sacrificial. Yeah, that's not what the, it, it should hurt a little bit. It should keep you and I, wherever that is, and, and, and the person who makes a bazillion dollars and the person who makes $20,000, what makes them hurt in that giving is going to be a, a different sliding scale. But that it is sacrificial, that it does hurt it keeps us from being able to do something that our hearts want to be able to do. Why? Because we're sacrificing this in order to give for the mission. We give generously, sacrificially, joyfully, and full of gratitude. And then the last thing is this. We've got to preach the gospel to ourselves. 
to gospel our greed, we must preach the gospel to ourselves. Having said everything that I've said this morning, and it's a lot, having and following a budget, having a, a savings account, giving, um, throwing some, some change at the church will not change your heart. We must be liberated from the enslaving power of money and discontentment. We must be saved, brothers and sisters. We can, we can be debt-free and eternally bankrupt. Meaning that you and I can be excellent with our money and be forever lost. A personal budget is healthy, it is practical, it's beneficial, and yet it is kindling for hell apart from an authentic relationship with Jesus. Again, the goal is God. God is the game. Believers, are you willing to lose everything and count it as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus? In 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 9, 8, chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his po poverty might become rich i want you to know this morning that if you're a person who has been wayward that you have gone and and you have been drifting away from the gospel if you have been drifting away from jesus and how you he would want us to to steward our money if you are deeply in debt if you are a slave to the borrower then i want you to understand that even jesus dying upon the cross that in that very moment that he saved sinners who were struggling with those very things as as well and you need to repent to him and you need to come to Jesus you need to turn in faith this morning because your only hope for the depravity and the wickedness of your greedy selfish hearts is an almighty loving gracious God who is willing though he was rich for your sake became poor your wealth brothers and sisters is not in the possessions that you own that will be burned one day or died, divided up and argued over by your kids or given to Hope House for them to throw away. Your worth is not in a vehicle. It is not in the size of your home or the sneakers on your shoe. Your, no, your worth is found in the person and, and, and value of Jesus. You were bought with a price. He gave his life a ransom for many. He paid the debt our sin required for the wage of sin is death and he paid it all. Jesus did not give the 2%. He did not give 10%. Jesus gave every ounce of his blood. He was, he was spilled out for the sins of his people. See, brothers and sisters, I believe that that one little piece of Jesus' DNA was perfect enough. To cover all the sins of the church. And yet he bled out. He bled out for his people. He died for his people. Brothers and sisters, God does not need our money. But he does want our hearts. Jesus didn't die for your possessions. He died for your heart. The gospel reminds me. Listen to this. Let this be a sweet salve upon our broken hearts. The gospel reminds us that we are poor, yet have been given a key to the kingdom. 
that I'm not the sum of my possessions, but rather the prized treasure of a king. That I'm a slave, and yet I am an heir. That I'm spiritually bankrupt, yet my cup runneth over. That my house, though it crumbles in around me, my Redeemer has gone to prepare a place for me. Though I am in debt, a debt I could never repay, but, but, but the debt is paid, and it is paid in full, as the song that we sing says. What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, though they are many, His mercy is more. Is your life bowed this morning to King Jesus or King Money? not walk away from here blind. I pray for a spirit of brokenness to fall upon our congregation, not to the moment of just mental assent, but physical practice. May we be hearers and doers of the church, of, of Christ, of the Word. Mission, come to Him. Come to Jesus. Find rest in Him. He is abundant life. He gives what money can never pay. Reconciliation with an almighty God. And to get that is gain. Let's pray.